It's astonishing. It's the music of Maurice Ravel. That was the first movement of Gaspard de la Nuit, played by Louis Lorty, who joins me now, fresh from rehearsal with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. Welcome back to Detroit. Thank you. I heard, and I'm sure you can correct me if I'm wrong, that your whole piano career started with a horrible orange piano. <laughs> Is that true? Well, now with the net, you know, with <laughs> you can find all the information about everything. It's absolutely true, but I didn't know that it was... Uh... Easily traceable. Oh, I didn't say it was easy. <laughs> but you did trace it. What's And it was in a basement. It was in the basement because the piano, what happened is we moved into a, a house uh, that had been just finished, uh, completed a few years before we got into that house. So how we old, had, how There was only you? one previous owner who had the house built, I guess, for him. And he had put that upright piano in the basement without having finished the staircase. So uh, when he moved out, he found out that the staircase wasn't proportioned to get oh. the piano out. So they had to leave the piano in the house. Isn't it, that it, amazing? So that's how I ended up discovering what a piano was because before that, I probably had seen from far away some pianos but never never got to. And how really old were you at the time? I was seven. Seven. Uh, I further heard that your dad first started to play it well yes and no that is my um parents both learned a little bit the piano but they were totally uh incapable i mean they were really not gifted but i had a grandmother who was living with us at the time and she knew how to play which i didn't know at all because she had stopped playing very early but she could still play so she sat down played some beethoven some other stuff and i thought wow Grandma has a few surprises in for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe what she could do with the piano because I wasn't aware that she could play it, you know. That's that's when I discovered people have have a lot of secret lives that we're not aware of. Oh, know? isn't that true? Yeah. So I was really uh, amazed. It was a, one of the biggest shocks I ever had because I thought I knew my grandmother, but then I discovered <laughs> I didn't know her because this seemed like that was the big thing. And actually, it was a big thing because she actually was supposed maybe to become a concert pianist when she was very young, but it was in the time of the Depression, 29. Uh-huh. She had to give it up to go and work in a store. Imagine the poor distressed woman who had to uh, so when I started playing of course for her it was like the continuity of what she had to abandon there was a meaning you know not only genetical but also uh, of I would say filiation you know of of continuing through the generations it's it's quite quite amazing picking up the baton yeah Yeah. Uh, but at some point Although in those days, women didn't have the baton in their hands. Yeah, well, they do. <laughs> there was Gina Bachauer in the in the old days. Well, but she was a pianist. Um, you, uh, at some point, though, changed from using the piano as as uh, an amusement into something much more serious. How did that happen? Well, you know, it's just when you're the wonderful thing when you're. A, a kid, you just play for fun. You don't even know that you can make some money or it's going to be a job or there is a business. It's all just about the music. And that's the way it should be, actually. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're smart enough, you keep that naivete 
all your life. I'm trying to, you know, but of course <laughs> I discovered that there are, it's a business. Also, you know, you make a living with that. You you have, uh, uh, you know, there's a, a framework of of how things are going to go. But when when you're a kid, you just learn music. You don't yet know that there are competitions, there are winners, there are losers, uh, which is a bit ridiculous with art because it's not a sport. You know, when you think mm. of it, uh, it's absurd to have uh, competitions for artists because it doesn't make you know doesn't make sense. But there's so many of them. Now. Oh, absolutely. And then they seem to have. Uh, uh, is it an inordinate uh, effect on young people's careers? You yeah, think? in a way, yes. Oh, it's a very good way to describe it. But unfortunately, unless your uncle is a famous conductor, you know, how are you going to get it? How mm. are you get, going to get into this business? So somehow it's still, it's like capitalism. You know, we haven't found anything better to yeah. organize society, <laughs> so we we stick to it. My guest is Louis Lorty, the great French-Canadian pianist. And uh, he's just hours away from taking the stage in Orchestra Hall uh, with the Beethoven uh, Concerto Number no. 3. Uh, and he'll be uh, uh, playing under the direction of John Storgards, the conductor. The first time you've worked with him. Yes, absolutely. It's always wonderful to... That's the the great thing about we were talking about the business is that mm-hmm. uh, because orchestras pick up their choice of conductor and soloist were not asked about anything. So we end up with, uh, you know, surprises, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. But this is a very, very good one. It's working very well. Now, earlier we were listening to you playing a recording of you playing the uh, Maurice Ravel. And Beethoven and Ravel are, are very oh. different. Oh, could it be more, and, uh, you know, the culturally... Uh, the origins, the, the, <laughs> the time in which they wrote their aesthetics, and, everything is different. And you're, uh, you have tastes that, uh, what shall I say, emphasize this, this eclectic, uh, you know, it's not just Ravel and Beethoven, it's Chopin, Poulenc, Foray, Scriabin, Rachmaninoff. Uh, you enjoy the variety. Yeah, because already I was talking about, you know, being a kid, already very young, I was very, very curious about I think that's also an advantage of being North American is that you're not really grounded in a special culture as much as Europeans are. And so you have, I think you have the doors much more open for you. And I would say being French-Canadian even more because, you know, I was brought up in Montreal, which is very multicultural mm-hmm. and I, I, you know, use two languages already. And so I was very open to the world very, very early. I also had wonderful teachers who were uh, coming from different cultural backgrounds uh, at a very very early age. So it made me connect with lots of different worlds, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. So, so are you saying then that a, a European artist might feel more pressure to play European composers? or Not only European, of- but the, the, of his own or her own land, uh-huh. of her own background, you know. And there are traditions. I mean, you know, there are, especially I think now, if you think of orchestras, for example, you know, if you think of the Dresden, uh, Stadtskapelle, mm. for example, I mean, they, they really have a hard time playing French music because they never did it, basically. They never played it and they have no affinity. So if a, a guest conductor comes in and tells them, you know, to play Debussy or Ravel, they, they don't really have a clue. <laughs> wow. 
Well, you're with you're with tonight an orchestra with a great French tradition. That's true, but we're playing Beethoven, yeah, and well, they do that very very well too. How does your your Beethoven inform your Ravel or vice versa? Not really, actually. I really the more I get older, I think I learn more to differentiate uh, different periods in history. Yeah. Uh, really, <laughs> they don't have much in common, <laughs> just... and it, it's great. It's absolutely wonderful because I, I feel almost schizophrenic when I go from <laughs> one to to the other because it's so different. Just different channels. Do you have an? Uh, I, I know you you wouldn't want to uh, divulge the identity, but do you have an encore plan for? Not right. You know, in America, it's very strange. You usually don't play an encore. It's very rare because it's the type of applause. Because I think an, an encore should be given when people are really getting very, very excited okay. about something like, uh, you know, in most European countries, they not only clap. Uh, normally, but at one point they will start clapping slower and all together, and they call you four or five times back, even if there's an orchestra. And then you sit down and play something because the, the excitement has been building up. But in America, there's a little bit of tendency to clap a little bit the same way for everybody. It's usually a couple of calls after. So I'm not the kind who loves to just rush to the instrument and impose an uncle. I will yeah, do it go. if people are well, insisting. But it's pretty rare in America because, I don't know, maybe the education makes it happen a little bit too... Uh, too bit, it's maybe too cautious the way yeah. people applaud. All right, so, so listeners... <laughs> What you got to do tonight <laughs> is bring Louis back at least five times if you want an encore. Just you know, you've been you've been told. Otherwise, you know, just enjoy the Beethoven and we'll move <laughs> well, on. Well, I think to it's a very it's a very fulfilling program with the Sibelius and oh the, yeah, the, the, a lot of Bavaga and it's an, uh, I think it's a fun program. Do you know the Radovara? I heard it in the rehearsal. I couldn't believe Isn't it. That it's, it's a really great piece. My goodness, yeah. uh, Louis Lorty is my guest. And uh, being the, the, the artist that you are, the concert art, the popular concert artist that you are, although you're doing three concerts here, and I should mention that uh, one is coming up tonight uh, in Orchestra Hall, and then uh, tomorrow morning, a coffee concert, and then uh, Saturday night at 8 o'clock, information at dso.org. But when you finish Saturday night, uh, you're headed to Taiwan, Next yes, week, you're again very well informed. Well, I, I try to do some homework, uh, and then the week after that to Shanghai. But did you see who's conducting in in Herbert, Taiwan? Because Herbert, that's yeah. that's a very interesting coincidence. I'm conducting with probably the only famous conductor who has a permanent residence in the Detroit area, and that's I mean up to you know to my knowledge, he still lives in the metro area, is isn't he? I I. Uh, I haven't been invited lately. Uh, okay, <laughs> good, so good, I, Gunter think, I think I Gunter is still, uh, you know, at least he's he was residing in in the Detroit area for a very, very, very long yeah, time. Yeah, well, he was our music yeah. director. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll take your word for it. And Gunter, if you're listening, uh, have a good time in Taiwan. Uh, and then the following week, you're in Shanghai. Yes, and then. Uh, the Queen Elizabeth Music Chapel in Belgium at mm -hmm. the beginning of June. Yes. And uh, your music festival in Italy at Lake Como. Um, that's a grueling 
itinerary. Do you ever get a vacation? Well, Lake Como sounds like a vacation it does, with some yeah. music, but at least the place is, uh, feels, it feels like a vacation. Well, that's good for you. Um, sometimes you conduct from the piano. And what determines whether you're going to take that on? Because I imagine some pieces uh, would be a little less practical. To yeah, do absolutely. I mean, usually... Uh, it's everything I would say before the concerto that I'm playing tonight. Actually, it's huh. probably from that concerto that there, you know people started uh, to need a conductor. Before that, you didn't. No, nobody ever thought of using a conductor for Mozart piano concertos. Mm. It just doesn't make sense. We we still do it because it's a 19th century tradition that has been keeping on. But in date the 18th century, nobody would have ever thought of having a relay between. Uh, the soloist and the, the instrumentalist, especially Mozart, where it's all like chamber music. Yeah, and, and in most cases, the soloist would be the composer. Absolutely, the by all yeah. means, yeah. Um, do, you, do you like, you must like it. You must like conducting uh, Oh, well, it just, Mozart. because it makes sense, you know, to have the musicians around you, no piano lid. So everybody, especially the winds, you know, they have some much trouble hearing the soloist when you have the piano lid on. They're in the back. They don't hear you. It's it's a bit ridiculous. Huh. Do you see yourself conducting without a piano? Yes, I've done it too. Yeah, it's fun, you know. It's, uh, I, would it's so. I understand so much better now. It also changed my understanding of performing with conductors because I know what they what their struggles are, what the uh, communication, it's completely, uh, we were talking about different worlds in, in with composers, but with performer, there's nothing more different than playing an orchestra and playing an instrument because the instrument is a slave to you. I mean, you really force the instrument, will never rebel against you unless the, the string breaks or something <laughs> like that. Yes. But it's not real rebellion. But when you have an orchestra that rebels against you or a player in the orchestra that doesn't like your face, I mean, you're, you're in pretty big trouble. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Oh, absolutely. It happens really? to everybody. They might not tell, tell you. There's Ooh. always somebody who doesn't like you in an orchestra. Come on, it's a group of, what, 80-some people. There's There has to be somebody who doesn't like your face but to start with. <laughs> who couldn't like this face? I, this is such a... Well, you know, that's that's the beauty of this world is that, you know, even it's like you're playing. Some people will love the way you play something and somebody else... Go on YouTube. There's always somebody to demolish every artist <laughs> yeah. if they want to, you know. it's a It's a free world. My guest is Louis Lorty. You can hear him in concert tonight at 7.30 in Orchestra Hall or tomorrow morning at 10.45, a concert that will be broadcast here on WRCJ, or Saturday night at 8 o'clock, or all three, doing uh, the Beethoven Piano Concerto Number no. 3, which really was a turning point for him, too, wasn't it, for Beethoven? Oh, yeah. absolutely. It's uh, just... Uh, it opens so many doors. You know, Beethoven, of course, has a foot in classicism and a foot in romanticism, yeah. but maybe he was more in between that piece than anywhere else in his uh, production. Louis Lorty, it's great to have you back in Detroit. My pleasure.